Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Great to be with you. And our title is Why Leaders Need More Than a Quiet Time, Part 2. Why Leaders Need More Than a Quiet Time, Part 2. Actually, I did a Part 1 on this June 2nd, uh, about eight weeks ago. But then when the uh, murder of George Floyd happened here in the United States, uh, I sensed the urgency to address uh, the issues of racism, Black Lives Matter, from a biblical perspective. And so I did a number of podcasts in these recent weeks on everything from generational racism and why we need to learn to grieve if we're going to address racism effectively, uh, a biblical vision for multiracial churches. I did a couple of messages. I, I, I posted up here on God's revelation uh, from Scripture that birthed through racism and how um, – <clears throat> You know, we must reclaim a deep spirituality and a deep understanding of the gospel uh, in these days because the church is under tremendous pressure. And uh, I think another message was on declaring God wins when it appears that he is losing and coming out of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, but I want to I want to move back to that part two. A number of you have written to me say, hey, when are we going to get part two on that issue of why leaders need more than a quiet time? So today it is. And so, uh, again, the, the theme of this is moving from what I call traditional devotions to transformative devotions uh, so that we can, in a sense, the, we offer those we serve and those around us with a gift. And that's a gift of hidden fruitfulness. It comes out of the depth of our beings. So again, my, my history when I came to Christ uh, through a, a parachurch movement in the early days, I learned all about quiet time. And I was very disciplined. I actually never found quiet time to be a yoke. I actually loved it. Uh, but it was a heavy emphasis on learning, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, uh, heavy on intercession uh, and fasting, kind of, the, again, the theology of God is not going to move unless we pray, and to lots of intercessory prayer meetings, and it often became a yoke uh, and a heavy weight. Again, I believe in those things are important, uh, but I hit a, a place where I realized, oh, no, this this is not enough, uh, a quiet time, as I traditionally know, to sustain the pressure of the world, <clears throat> the evil one, and my own inner self-will that is disordered. Uh, and the revolution came to me through what we call today emotionally healthy discipleship and exposure to uh, monastic movements, uh, monasteries, uh, Catholic, Orthodox, uh, Evangelical, uh, and exposure to the daily office and, and Benedictines in particular, and participating in uh, Benedictine spirituality, seven day times a day of stopping to be with God is the most important work that we do, and a reorientation of our entire life so it's centered around prayer. And and so what we're talking about here, when I move, talk about moving from traditional devotions to transformative devotions, uh, I'm really inviting you to an experience of Jesus uh, that is a shift in not simply your devotions, but your entire direction of your life. Uh, and a changed orientation, a, a, a conversion. Uh, and so as I've thought about what over the decades, what's impacted me, I, I, there's really just four keys or four uh, kind of concepts or truths or words that have helped me transition into this kind of transformative devotions. And I spent the, the first part of this uh, podcast uh, talking about the first two elements, which is rhythms and silence. Uh, but today I want to move to the second two, which is communion with Jesus and flexibility. But 
let me begin by reviewing the first two, Rhythms and Silence, and mentioning a few additional comments about them, and then we'll move to our final two keys. So it's Rhythms, Silence, Communion with Jesus, and Flexibility. That if you can build these four elements in it, uh, it's sustainable long-term, as well as just deeply transformative, powerful, joyful, and easy light yoke of Jesus. So uh, again, let's back to rhythms. Again, our, our, our culture doesn't have rhythms. Our world doesn't have rhythms. Very fragmented. Uh, but God built us for rhythms. Uh, in fact, all of nature is built on rhythms. Day and night, the tides going in and out, our breathing, we breathe in, we breathe out, we go to sleep, we wake up. We have seasons, our rhythms. Uh, in the same way, we're wired for rhythms and as human beings. And, and God himself has a rhythm of work and Sabbath and Sabbath and work. And we see that right there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And so thus, we're built for rhythms in our days, in our weeks, in our years. And, and so my invitation to you is to begin to see yourself as a person who is your, your first uh, priority in life is, 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 to, is to seek God. You're not a leader first. You're not a mother or father first. You're not a strategist or a CEO you're, or a founder or an entrepreneur. You're, you're first a, a, a monk, a prayer, or a seeker after God. Your, your life is him. And so rhythms is key to building into your life so that the world doesn't sweep you up, but, but God does. And, I'm, and you're anchored, and I'm anchored in God. And, uh, and so that rhythm has really came to me with a, with a power when I participated in, and I, and I went to, uh, for years, I would go for a yearly retreat for a week. I'd go multiple weekends during the year, but I just wanted to participate and feel the rhythms of a monastic life. And again, monasticism goes back to, in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus. We see this kind of desert spirituality uh, and then moving out into activity. And so this was picked up by the Desert Fathers in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th centuries, and then eventually monastic communities all through 2,000 years of church history. Uh, and, and, and there's this, and Benedict's rule in the Western church in particular has become the formative or at least classic work that has shaped Western monasticism uh, and the daily office. The idea of my first work, the word office means work, my first work is to be with God. Psalm 27, 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple. That that verse became my life verse a couple of decades ago, and, and that I was no longer first a pastor of a church, I was first a, a seeker after God, like David, and my goal is to abide in him all through the day. And, and, uh, and so prayer and work become one, but if I'm going to be a person who is praying all through the day, I need to be stopping and get a rhythm in my days. And so uh, I began to really, in a sense, uh, learn from Daniel, who stopped three times a day uh, and when he's living in Babylon. We see David had a rhythm in his life, and seven times a day do I praise thee, he wrote. He's a man after God's own heart. They had rhythms. Jesus participated in, in Orthodox uh, Jewish prayer of his day. Uh, early church did as well. And and so I, I began to add, I had morning prayer always, I called quiet time, and then I began to add afternoon and then evening prayer. And uh, and the key word here is rhythm. And again, it, the goal is, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, about being with God, but it's a rhythm in my days, uh, morning, hopefully midday, evening. Uh, and the goal is not, of course, to get through a certain amount of time, but to be with Jesus and having a dimension of silence. So that's the first word is key. 
getting a rhythm. And so I, I encourage you in the, in the first part of this podcast that you, if you have a morning prayer time with God, again, the time, how long it is is irrelevant, whether it's five minutes or uh, 30 or an hour or two hours. Uh, but maybe you add an afternoon uh, rhythm of stopping to be with Jesus, maybe for a shorter period of time, and, and then maybe in the evening before you go to bed. Uh, but again, uh, it, it's the goal is to get to Jesus, and so that when you're active the rest of the time, you're abiding in him. That's the first element, rhythms. The second is silence. And it was the silence of the daily office, the silence that I uh, participated in and observed uh, in the monastery. Once I began to practice that spiritual discipline, it just changed my life. It, was, it changed everything. It, it moved me from this kind of a grasping, willful, my plans and goal setting. Not that I didn't, don't set plans and goals any longer, but it, it really got me to a place of, of being quiet and, and surrendering, uh, not uh, not acquiring. Uh, and it's, of course, contemplative prayer or silent prayer, as it's often called, is, is, is simply one dimension of prayer. Again, there's worship, there's confessing, there's intercession, there's warfare prayer, there's groaning, there's thanksgiving, there's laments. And all of prayer is important. But silence and being still before the Lord is a, is a dimension of prayer that most, if not, I would say, 90 to 95 percent of Christians ignore. Uh, and yet the scripture calls us the Lord's in his holy temple that all the earth be silent before him, Habakkuk 2. There's so many scriptures about being still before the Lord. And uh, uh, what makes our silence so unique, again, is we're doing it in his presence. And uh, they, they say the average amount of time a church can bear silence is less than 15 seconds. Uh, and that is the truth. I, I've observed that. And so we have these muscles inside of us that were actually made by God for silence, uh, and so these muscles in most of us is, are atrophied, uh, unused. And, uh, and so what happens is, is, is we, we, the idea of being silent or still before the Lord is so difficult because we're so full of distractions and preoccupations and we've got worries and regrets and plans and all these things that need to be done. And our inner world is filled with endless motion and endless noise. Uh, but it's not just our inner world, it's often our external world. And and I know many folks say, Pete, I, I want to be silent. I, I want to be still. Uh, and I've gone to a retreat center. I, I, I've gone to be alone in a park or the beach. And, and I finally dis- I find, I discover that this inner noise follows me. Uh, this lack of stillness inside of me follows me. And my, my mind is just racing. And, and, and so in some ways, uh, external silence, when we finally get to it, confronts us with the realities of our inner world which also is very noisy. And I love what Blaise Pascal wrote. He's a French mathematician, a Christian. Uh, and he said that all human evil comes from people's inability to sit quietly in a room. Think about that statement. It's been quoted many, many times over the centuries, but that all human evils or miseries can be traced back to people's inability to sit still uh, in a room. And, and so silence and stillness have an inner dimension as well as an outer dimension. And so you can be externally silent by not talking, but there's more we want. We want to get to this inner stillness. Uh, That's what's got to be cultivated. Being fully present to God and ourselves and others requires we move forward in this stillness and silence and and solitude. So let me just invite you, because I want to move on. (laughs) Parts three and four here is, to, to, to go into it. It's like riding a bicycle. you got to get on the bike. You know, Stay with it, 
begin to practice it, begin to learn on it, get on that bicycle. It's not going to happen easily. Uh, it's not going to happen quickly. Think of yourself as trying to compete in the Olympics. Uh, it's going to take training and practicing, but yet as you practice slowly over the days and the months uh, and the years, you find and discover, and I have found this to be true, I don't care what your social class is, your ethnicity, your race, what country you are as you listen to this, you will discover that there is a dimension of your being of your, that was created by God for silence before him. And as that dimension of your humanity comes alive, uh, you will never go back. You will discover and say to yourself, how did I ever live Without it, I like to say this: that moving people into silence and stillness before the Lord is the great transition into spiritual adulthood. I want to say this again: it's so important. I, I, I am fully convinced, and, and as I've been working with churches and uh, you know people, disciples and leaders, that this transition into integrating silence and stillness before the Lord is really one of the great transitions to grow into spiritual adulthood and maturity. And that's why I wrote uh, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Day by Day, Daily Office, and The Emotionally Healthy Relationships Day by Day uh, that accompany the, the, and are actually core to the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Relationship course. Because if we don't get to God in a dimension of silence in a rhythmic way, the world's noise and clutter is simply going to fill us. Uh, and we're so full, God can't fill us. And uh, we've got to cultivate our own firsthand relationship with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to check out those materials. But, but I, want, I want to invite you to, to get a free download on our website. Uh, it's, it's a daily office that I used in the early years. Uh, and it's something you can download and put into your phone uh, version or print it out and uh, just use it to begin to help you give you structure being still and silent before the Lord as well as some scripture and other things. Uh, but go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office and uh, get that free daily office and, and just put it into your Bible and one of your books or by your bed and begin to just practice it and uh, begin to just integrate it a bit. And again, most importantly, get some silence in there. But let's move from the rhythms and silence, and let me now move to the third uh, key element to this, what I'm going to call transformational devotions, and that is uh, communion with Jesus, uh, being with Jesus. I really could add being with yourself as well, but it's it's communion with Jesus, that, that the focus and the thrust of your time with God <clears throat> is not to get more knowledge, it's not to get a prophetic word. It's not to get good feelings of peacefulness and centeredness so you can go into your day. It is to be with a person, and that person is the living Jesus. Uh, that emphasis of being in communion with Jesus informs everything. It's a revolution. Now, remember, Scripture calls us to pray without ceasing. It calls us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And one of the core verses of Paul in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the spiritual warfare in which we find ourselves. But, but how do I pray always? How, how, do I, how do I abide in him always? What does that look like? Paul's talking about this, this abiding, this remaining in Jesus all through the day regardless of what we're doing. It's remembering him. It's being conscious of him. So even now as I'm, I'm doing this podcast and I'm speaking into a microphone at my computer, uh, you're listening wherever you are. But uh, 
I can be, I'm praying and since I'm aware of Jesus' presence and hopefully wherever you are, you're aware of Jesus' presence. Uh, in that sense, we're, we're praying always. Our whole life is lived in the presence of God. Uh, prior to this, for me, this emphasis on the goal is communion with the person of Jesus, uh, much of my day was compartmentalized. In other words, I would think about God in quiet time. I'm reading the scriptures in a small group and worship. Uh, but for large blocks of my day, I wouldn't think about God. I wouldn't think about it very much. I, I wasn't practicing his presence all through the day. But this thrust of rhythms and silence and, of course, a focus on communion with Jesus in, began to inform my whole life where everything's about communion with Jesus. Uh, everything, vacations, you name it. And so, uh, again, the, the daily office or or the the not for off the offices. If you're living in a monastery, a Trappist monastery, you're going to stop eight times a day uh, to be with Jesus. And then what you'll do is you'll go to work in between those times, or sleep, or eating. But for people not living in a monastery, which is all of us, uh, there are actually four blocks of time that were invited to join the rhythms of, of a monastic life of stopping to be with Jesus. And that is morning from six to nine a.m. Uh, midday. Uh, afternoon prayer from uh, midday prayer, I'm sorry, from 11 to 2, somewhere in there. Uh, evening prayer, which is somewhere between 5 and 8. And then Compline, which is the final prayer right before you close your eyes, something brief. Uh, I actually, I, I'm quite fixed on three uh, times a day. Um, and, uh, you know, it's really it, it informed my life now for the last couple of decades. But it's got some elements to it. It's got scripture in it. It's got some silence, meditation, maybe something devotional, uh, maybe even music. But the key is I'm, 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 whatever's going to help me commune with Jesus. So, so I'm talking about learning to be before you do. And uh, uh, so that my, my being with God is sufficient for my doing for him. And, and so, in other words, I, one of the ways I know that I'm, I'm being before I do is I've got uh, how much time do I need? Well, I monitor my body, my anxiety level, the stress in my body. I feel what's going on inside of me, and the Holy Spirit's living inside of me. And uh, so uh, to be before you do is really two aspects of it. One, emotionally, I'm aware of my feelings, my weaknesses, uh, my limits, uh, what's going on around me, what happened to me today, today or yesterday. And uh, But I'm also spiritually, uh, I'm not engaged in more activity than my spiritual or physical or emotional reserves can sustain. Uh, I'm, I'm making sure I'm receiving from God enough or more than I'm actually doing for him. And I'm enjoying Jesus. That the Jesus I'm talking about to other people, I want to enjoy him myself. And, and so I've got these kind of regular rhythms to handle the pressures that come my way. And my cup doesn't feel empty. It's full. Uh, uh, and so when I'm feeling depleted, that I... I, I uh, was to interpret as a, as a it's God coming to me to pivot. Pete, you need to make an adjustment, and and I and I'm aware the greatest gift I can give to those around me and the greatest contribution I can make to the world is to be in communion with Jesus, uh, and that my being does not exceed my my doing. I'm sorry, my doing does not exceed my being. It's the Mary Martha story that I'm making sure I'm a, I'm a Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and not simply a Martha running around. In fact, you see this theme all, all in the life of Jesus. He was being with the Father for 30 years, 
uh, you are my son whom I love, and then we see him doing for the Father. We see him intentionally moving back and forth in activity for the Father and then pulling back to be alone with him. Uh, he calls the 12 disciples first to be with him, and then he sends them out to preach. He's very clear on that. And, and uh, the 12 disciples, we see the same thing in, in their rhythm. We see them in Acts 6 giving attention to the word of God in prayer. That takes precedence over all else for them in, the, in their ministry. And actually in the early church, they have what's called a catechumenate uh, in, in their discipleship process. And that is, a, they realized that severe persecutions were sweeping over the church. Some people were lapsing and they needed to create a, a, a training where people learn to be with Jesus. Uh, for themselves, so they could stand firm under severe pressure that would come their way through potentially persecutions. And then if you look at the great theologians and leaders uh, from the 2nd to the 7th centuries, what are often called the eight great doctors of the church, the pastors and leaders, people like Athanasius and Augustine and Gregory the Great and Jerome, they were their lives, almost all of them were first monks who were anchored in a life of prayer and being with God. And then their service and leadership flowed out of that abundance and experience. And so this, this rhythms and silence and then focus on communion with Jesus is actually the anchor of all of life. And uh, it's transformative. Just this past couple of weeks, I've been meditating on a section of a sermon by a guy named Meister Eckhart. And he lived in the 1200s. And, and, and he writes about, he goes, we should not be thinking about first what we can do. But we ought to be thinking about first what we can be. Uh, for it's not what we do that makes us holy, he writes, but it's it's who we are. It's what it's, it's our being. And he writes, he goes, no matter what else the works you do, they don't make us holy. He goes, he goes, to the extent that we are holy, everything we do becomes holy, whether it's eating, sleeping, keeping vigil, or whatever it may be. If we if our in our being we are just Everything we do is just. If in our being we are kind and gentle and not anxious, we bring that to everything we touch. It makes total sense. That's why focusing on our being, again, with Jesus, being with ourself, our inner world with him, is what's going to flow out and impact everything we touch. But if our inner being is full of chaos, everything we do becomes chaotic because that's what's happening inside of us. And uh, again, rhythm, silence, and being. But let me just talk this last, and, and anything, the most important um, element here of having a transformative devotional life, and that I'm going to call simply flexibility. Say that with me, flexibility. In other words, change. In other words, you're willing to change. Whatever is helping you connect with Jesus, that's what you need to be doing. If it's not helping you to connect with Jesus in this season of your life, then you drop it. So I've done... I've done so many different things. I'm going to share with you some, you know, some that I've done over time. I remember there was a season I I prayed the Jesus prayer all through the day. It wasn't the only thing I think I did in my devotionals, but it, it was, you know, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This comes from the Philokalia, the Eastern Church, the Russian Orthodox Church. It's a great prayer. I remember using for a number of years Phyllis Tickle's Divine Hours. I remember using Northumbria's Celtic Daily Prayer, uh, some book called Celtic Daily Prayer, the Northumbria community in, in the north of England. Uh, in fact, they're the ones that gave me an idea for the for the for um, uh, what I've invited you to download at our website, emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office. I actually used the same daily office for a couple of years, two, three years um, of uh, morning, midday, and evening prayer. 
and uh, very, very helpful, powerful for me. There was times that I began to read through the Bible in a year. Uh, and then I found that, you know, the idea of reading through the whole Bible in a year, which I'd done in the past, was way too much for me. Uh, and it was actually became such an obligation. I just stopped it. For, there was a season I, I used a lectionary from the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, I actually used their, book, their offices for a while, morning and evening prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, for a number of years, I uh, prayed the Psalms. I would pray uh, through the Psalms, so I'd pray through all 150 uh, every month. And I did this, wow, uh, along, along with some other readings in Scripture, of course, but I was very committed to doing the rule of St. Benedict, praying the Psalms, uh, and uh, but it became also a heavy yoke, and I finally had to stop it. I, I, I was so funny, I, I found myself doing it, but I wasn't getting anything out of it. And I said, that's not helping, uh, and I stopped. But I, do I still pray the Psalms? Absolutely. Uh, every day? No, no. But uh, I, I love praying the Psalms, especially when I don't know what to pray. It's so helpful for me. Uh, I spent a number of years in my morning prayer. Uh, it's, it's a morning prayer that I tend for my bigger chunk of time. Uh, and I'm going to do something generally substantial in, in Scripture. So I spent, I don't know, at least five years maybe or plus, maybe six, on the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John slowly, verse by verse. Um and it became my morning prayer. It was so rich. Uh, actually, it wasn't like I ever got tired of it. It just, it just ended. <laughs> I, I did it multiple times each gospel, but I, I was just so drenched in the, uh, in the gospel. Uh, it was just powerful. And, uh, and then midday and evening, I'd do something different. I've recently been in Habakkuk and Jeremiah uh, for a few months. And again, after COVID-19 disruptions and you know, our, our recession, Black Lives Matter, I, I, disruption going on around, around us, I just found myself drawn to the prophets. Uh, so I spent a lot of time on Jeremiah, not finished with him. And now recently, I've been deep into Paul. I, I've been praying and reading and studying Philippians and Ephesians and 2 Corinthians. And, and I just, I just, I'm just a free spirit, just, you know, reading and praying the scripture and uh, meditating, perhaps an afternoon office, like, on, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Yesterday in my midday office, I just stayed on that verse, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And it's so interesting, that's one of the first verses I memorized. But here I am many years later, and it's like I never read it before. Uh, just such, such wealth in, in scripture and I found myself meditating on Ephesians uh, and Christ as the head of the church in the whole world. And then Ephesians 4.11 of how God equips the church through pastors and prophets and teachers and evangelists. And uh, and then I ended my quiet time, you know, I, I, I ended my morning prayer uh, time with God with, with uh, a blessing that from John O'Donoghue, uh, and it was a, it's his book on blessings. And there was this phrase, and he wrote this blessing for those who hold power. And... Uh, I have read it, I think, sitting down in the, maybe my, my uh, living room one day. But I was so touched by it, I, I brought the Book of Blessings up and up uh, to my room. Uh, and uh, I just prayed and pondered at the end of my morning prayer the last two days with meditating on this prayer here. He writes, May the gift of leadership awaken in you as a vocation. Keep you mindful of the providence that calls you to serve. As high over the mountains the eagle spreads its wings, may your perspective be larger than the view from the foothold hills. And I just love that. You know, may the gift of leadership awaken in you as a vocation. And I just pondered my 
oh, his vocation, his calling, and then keep you mindful of the providence that calls you to serve. And I'm just pondering the providence of God throughout my entire life that would have put me in a position now to be able to serve people like yourself in this podcast and other ways, you know, as a pastor and a leader, what a gift. And then I'd read this book on grief and grieving, uh, uh, you know, finding the meaning of grief through the five stages of loss based on Kubler uh, Ross's work. And, and uh, I, I was, you know, I always underline and make notes in the back of a book. And so, I, again, I brought that to one of my, you know, morning prayers. And, and so towards the end of that and before going, I wanted to meditate on a couple of sections that I just felt God was speaking to me and wanted to come to me through. And, and I didn't want, I wanted, again, I wanted to allow the book to read me where the Holy Spirit was coming to me and not just me reading a book. And uh, so here's the section that I'd underlined, and I just pondered it before the Lord. Uh, it writes, writes this, we need time to move through the pain of loss. We need to step into it, really get to know it in order to learn how to live with it. Grief is opening up to the exquisite pain of absence. It's the moment when you stop trying to move on or change how much it hurts and just let it out. And I'd been in a conversation with some people who were just actually weeping about some of the limits and challenges of COVID-19 as it's already been five, six months. It's going to be at least another six to nine months and uh, just their sadness and just being with them. Again, I, I, I've done everything in my times with God for everything from the examine uh, of Ignatius to discern the movements of the spirit, walking through nature. Uh, and again, the principle very simply is this. If it's not helping you abide, don't do it. Just stop and let the spirit of God lead you to something else. A friend, friend asked me, you know, what do you do, Pete? Be specific. You know, I was, you know like, and he, maybe I like pressed down like, okay, you wake up. What do you do first? And I just said, oh, I wake up. I go make a cup of tea, you know, and I've, I've generally got a, a chair. And well, you do silence first. You do scripture first. I said, well, it depends on how I'm feeling. I often do silence first. But if I'm really distracted, I'm going to I'm going to spend some time in scripture. Do you read a devotional book? I said, eh, sometimes, you know, and, and he kind of forced me to press it down and, you know, force it. Think through, you know, I, I do have a certain uh Customs, you know, or ways of doing it. I, I try to set my alarm minimally for 20 minutes of silence. I just often don't use that. I just let it flow. And, uh, and then my midday and evenings are lots of flexibility in that. But again, let me just close with this. Remember, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if it's a hard, heavy yoke, it's not Jesus. I like to say that in, in the Emotionally Other Discipleship course, as you use the EHS Day by Day book and uh, books, it's not about perfectionism. The goal is to communion with Jesus, to, to be with him. So again, it's rhythms, it's silence, it's communion with Jesus, and it's flexibility. Uh, so again, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash daily office, check out that free download, and maybe get you started on some rhythms in your days. And, and I pray that God may meet you, and that the greatest gift that you give to everybody around you, may you be your being. Uh, and that hidden fruitfulness that uh, dwells within you that you then can offer to all those around you as a gift. So thank you, everybody. It's been so good to be with you. I pray God's blessing on you. Take care.